You know, uh, a few weeks back, Brian sent me a text saying, hey, can you cover for me? And, and the first thing that came to my mind before I responded was, I thought of Brad and I thought of Adrian. Because both of those guys stood up when they covered for Brian and said, man, Brian did me dirty. You should see the passage that he assigned for me to preach to you. So before I responded to Brian, I went to Luke 22 and looked it over and thought, nothing, nothing too outrageous and agreed. And then looked back at it and saw 71 verses. And if you've been following the series, each week we've covered the entire chapter, the full volume of the chapter. And I told Dole this week when we were talking about it, it's sort of like I've really enjoyed the series, but every time we've left on Sunday, I've thought, it's just too much, I can't digest it all. Well, I'm sorry, but we're going to do our best to cover all 71 verses. One other thing about when we found out, I found out that uh, Brian asked me, I had, a, I had some excitement and people call and say, hey, it's great, I, I'm looking so forward to hear you, so, so I want to tell you, thank you mother and, and thank you to my wife. And uh, I hope that y'all will let me go home. A couple of years ago, we had another sermon series. And this one impacted me. And it's really stuck with me. You remember when we, when we had the series on the Bible? And, and we talked about how we look at and study and, and review and digest Scripture. And we were brought three ways to look into the Word. You remember that? We read through the lens. I'm going to need these. (laughs) We read through the lens of love. We read through the lens of story. And we read through the lens of wisdom. And I thought, you know, that moved me enough. That that changed my perspective enough that I wanted to use that concept as we look at chapter 22. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the chapter and look at the different characters we see in the story And look at what lens they were using at the time. Does that make sense? So because of brevity, we're just going to jump right in. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread was called the Passover. It was approaching, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to start with Judas and, and look at his lens. You know, for a moment, I'm going to sound pro-Judas. I hope you know better. But the lens that he was looking at Jesus in this story, it sounds like a good lens. It sounds like an appropriate lens. I think he was looking through the lens of ambition. You know, that's, that's a word that we use to compliment someone. That's an ambitious young man. He's going to grow up and he's going to do something. He's going to make something happen. I think, I think we could look at Judas in the lens of ambition, and I think there's two different aspects that we can see him do that. One is through the most common story we see him, and that's greed. Hey, I can make some money out of this. It's going to happen anyway, so I may as well profit. But there's another way to look at it. 
And I, I think, at least from my perspective, that this is really closer to where Judas was moving. I think his ambition wasn't as vile as just making money. I think he's looking at the whole situation and he sees Jesus and he sees what he believes Jesus is here to accomplish and he sees it not happening. So he says, how can I get my leader to the forefront so he can be the Messiah that we're all looking for? How can I force the issue? Oh, and by the way, I can make a profit. Either way, he's wrong. Fair enough. The lesson I want us to take in looking through the lens of ambition is this. Sometimes motives cause right action. Sometimes motives cause wrong action. And this one kind of flips you on your ear because this one, motives cause right action in a wrong manner. What was meant to happen, happened. But his ambition tainted it. Now, before we mark him as an all-time villain, I want to share a story of my life. Close to 30 years ago, we, we were involved in a church here in town, another church. And every Christmas, there was this grand... Christmas pageant put on. We went to Paramount Terrace Christian Church at the time, and some of you may remember, you remember that pageant that Paramount Terrace put on in the Civic Center because it had grown so big that they put on six, seven, eight performances of the Passion Week in the Civic Center, and people all over the community, all over the panhandle would come, and I got involved in this. Now, I haven't been up here on the praise team for a reason, but they needed help, so I found a non-singing role to fill in. I, I, I got to be one of the 12. And at the first rehearsal we went to, our director, his name's Reggie, Reggie said, you know, of the 12, we need three specifically set aside. Who's going to be Peter? 12 hands. Oh, I'll do that. Okay, who's going to be John? Oh, I'll do that. Who's going to be Judas? 12 people were quiet. And I thought, why not? Yeah, I'll do it. That was one of the strongest, greatest moves I have ever made for my spiritual well-being. And I'll tell you why. Tell you why. This thought went through my mind, and I can tell you when it went through my mind so specifically, so real, it's like it happened yesterday. That stage area set up for the, the scene, the crucifixion. And there were, there were great boulders, great paper mache boulders around the three crosses. And, and me, being the smart aleck I can be sometimes, thought, and <laughs> Dolce said amen, <laughs> thought, wouldn't it be fun to do this? So before the curtain went up, I got on stage and I laid down on the stage hidden by one of the boulders so I can wave at Jesus. But as I laid there and the curtains went up and the lights went bright, I saw Jesus. I didn't see Scott Greer. Scott was the, was the fellow playing Jesus. I didn't see Scott. I saw Jesus. I saw him. Nailed. And what went through my mind was this. I'm playing Judas. What has Judas done? 
that I haven't. And at least he was smart enough to get paid for it. I do it for free. So before you paint Judas with that, that, that brush of villain, be willing to put on your own makeup. The lens of ambition. Imagine what could have happened if he had the lens of love. The story was still turned out. That was predestined. But it may have been a little, a little more beautiful in some ways. Now, if you look at the passage, we're going to go next to the Lord's Supper, but we're going to skip that. And I know we're going to cover all 71 verses, so we're going to skip that for the end, and that's for a reason. So go ahead and drop down to uh, verse 24. Now, I do want to paint just a little bit for you of what's going on. This is right after the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, they're still in the room, but things are winding down, and some, a couple of things occur at this moment that, that I want to share with you. A dispute also arose among them, them being the twelve, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he focuses to Simon. And this is important. From this point on, remember this for another lens we're going to talk about, but I'm going to go ahead and share the passage of Scripture with you here. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned your back, strengthen your brother's. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. Also, if you have a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, as he is numbered with his transgressors, and I will tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written in me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, we have two swords. He replied, That's enough. That's enough. I want you to notice something on that passage. That's enough. You see the exclamation point? There's something that's really interesting that I want to share with you. At least it's interesting in my mind. When you go back and you look at the original Greek transcripts, you know what you don't see? Punctuation. So when you see punctuation, that's from context. Okay? So when you see that exclamation point, that's when the teams that got together and went through these transcripts and brought them to our language so that we may comprehend, they said, we need to make sure that the person who reads this passage, when they see that's enough, it's not, there's two swords, look, oh, that's enough. 
No, Jesus' response was, that's enough. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to look now at what happened through the lens of association. The lens of association. You know, uh, if any of you have ever watched any Snapchat or TikTok or any of those little video bits, there's a term that's out in the world now. And I feel sorry. I feel sorry for my cousin's wife because she has this name. But we've all heard, oh, that's a Karen. And we've seen these little videos of these people are demanding. And there's a key phrase that comes up so many times with these people. And I'm not going to use the name again because I don't want to, I don't want to put down people who have nothing to do with it. But that phrase is, is, do you even know who I am? Do you know who I am? You're treating me this way, and do you know who I am? Or even worse, and I, I've, I've heard this, I've actually heard this one spoken to me before. Do you know who my father is? So basically what we see is people claiming authority, claiming power, claiming privilege, because they're related to someone. Kind of see that's what the disciples are doing here. Hey, who's going to be the greatest? Look, look, we're all followers of Jesus. So who's going to be the greatest? I'm sorry, I just saw my daughter. Three times in Scripture, at least three times, the twelve argued over who got to be the greatest. And it seems all three times it's right after something amazing happened with Christ, showing his, his ability, his strength. Uh, one time was right after the transfiguration. We see in, in the sister gospels at this time, it's right after Jesus washed their feet. Jesus humbled himself and washed their feet. And then they say, and, and you remember what he said after he washed their feet? He said, go and do likewise. So the response to being humbled and saying, I'm going to go serve people, even if it means getting down on my hands and knees and washing their feet. Their response was, I will go and I will be the greatest, and you prove me wrong. See, the association of who they were with was what they were trying to define themselves by. Here's what I want us to learn from that. The disciples at this point remind me of another significant group in Scripture. The Pharisees. Because of who I am, because of what I've done, because of what I've been taught, because of who my family is, this makes me greater than you. And because of that, this is what I expect. And here's what it should be. Because of who I am, And because of what he's done. And because of whose I am. This is what I expect. I expect to take care of you. So instead of the lens of association, maybe they should have used the lens of wisdom. Let's go back to that's enough. I told you we'd touch on that. And and I think it's important. Here's what goes through my mind. When we read scripture, we tend to want to see the deity of Christ. We all know that Christ was and is God incarnate. But we also know that Christ 
Jesus was a man of flesh and blood. And this is one of those times we see the humanity of Jesus. And I pulled the stool up for a reason, because this is what went through my mind with that's enough. I'm driving down the highway going on vacation, and I'm getting tired, and I'm getting frustrated, and I look over my shoulder, and I say, don't make me turn this car around. That's where Jesus was at that moment. And, you know, we don't like thinking of him that way because when we see that much humanity and that, so, that much frustration, we automatically assume a lack of control. No, emotions, they don't control us until we choose to allow them to control us. He was frustrated when they were saying, hey, we gathered up two swords. It's, it's, you don't get what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying go out and hack up the world. I'm saying what's going on is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher, and you need to lean against me more and more and more. I will take care of you. But we got two swords. That's enough. So as soon as this happens, next part of the story, Jesus travels to the Mount of Olives. And I love how the passage, I'm going I'm to uh, paraphrase a little bit of this for you because uh, of time. But I love how it's worded. It says, as his usual practice, as his usual practice, he went up to the garden and he went to pray. And when he got to the garden to pray, he looked at the 12 with him, the 11 with him, because Judas is gone now. And he said, hey, y'all pray. Y'all pray that your faith may be strong. You're going to need it. And then he goes and prays, and it's the famous passage where he prays, and he's so concerned that his sweat turns and falls drops of blood. Remember that passage? For the point of the lens we're looking through, I want us to go past that. And, and, and when he finished, he got up and he went back to his 11, and they were praying fervently. I heard a giggle. They weren't praying, were they? They were snoring obnoxiously. <laughs> They had gone to sleep. And he woke them and he chastised them. And then shortly after that, a crowd, the Bible says a crowd, showed up. Uh, Starting at verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked Judas, asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw that this was happening... They said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck a servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed them. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers and the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and yet you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. The lens that we're going to see here, we're going to look at the lens that the disciples were using and the crowds were using, and it's the same lens. And, and, and a lot of y'all don't know this, but Doyle may be able to sing, but he's blind as a bat. Let me see your glasses for a second. Now, he's trusting me because he can no longer see. But to make it even worse, neither can I. The, tw- the 11... The crowd, this is what they had just done. They had taken the lens of someone else and they'd put them on. Here's how the, 
I'm going to have, give me a second, I'm dizzy. <laughs> He's going to have to, uh, the disciples, the lens they're looking through is each other. See, they're in a very precarious situation. They're in a dangerous situation. They're in a time that their faith is going to be needed to carry them. But they're with each other, and they trust each other, and they'll take care of each other. One of the things that my wife and I do on the side when we're not at work is, is, is we're a part of an organization, Bikers Against Child Abuse, and we ride with a group of guys, a group of ladies. And we're all over the state. We, we, I mean, we do a lot, of, a lot of traveling with them. And, you know, when, you, when you're on a motorcycle and you're doing 75 miles an hour, give or take, in a group, you need to trust the bike beside you. And when I ride with the guys we ride with normally, I'm comfortable. I'll ride with them in formation. I'll go anywhere with them because I know how they ride. I've spent some of them literally tens of thousands of miles on each other's hips. A little staggered, but close by. I know how they ride. I can see the highway through their eyes. But I better be looking with mine because they're trusting me to see it as well. See, at this moment, the 11, they're trusting Jesus' eyes. It's not necessarily a bad thing. They're trusting each other's eyes, but they're not looking with their own. They found security in each other instead of where they needed to be. Now, the crowd, the crowd that came, the eyes that they were looking through was the high priests, the ones that sent them and as you read the passage, we're most likely there. They were looking through those eyes and saw Jesus now as the villain. And they came to capture him, imprison him, because he's so dangerous. We'll talk about the ear, the right ear. I keep it. I'm left-handed, so it's backwards. We'll talk about the ear in a minute, because there's something important in there to see. So here's what I want us to learn about looking through the lens of others. Close to 20 years of my life, I did this. Stand before church, share scripture, try to learn together. And I don't know how many times I've said this. I see Tom O'Neill. Tom, you know exactly what I'm about to say because you've told me it meant something when you heard me say it the first time. I'm sharing with you God's word. And I'm doing my best to tell you the truth of God's word. But if you take my word for what I'm telling you, you're a fool. Prove what I'm telling you. Don't trust what I'm telling you because I'm flesh just like your flesh. And I guarantee you someplace in this sermon, I'm telling you something that's not right. If I knew what it was, I wouldn't tell you that. But the truth is, you're, you're hearing a man's words to explain God's word. So what I'm saying is, Go ahead. Go ahead and follow people who have proven to be worthy of following. Go ahead and listen to people who have proved themselves to be educated and knowledgeable. Go ahead and hear people who have shown pure and, and righteous through the grace of God heart. But open your eyes and learn yourself and purify your heart before you take it as gospel. I'm sharing the gospel, but you need to know the gospel. Fair statement? Next lens we're going to get to. You remember Peter? When, when Jesus said, hey, 
three times before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me? Remember that part of the story? We're there now. Starting at verse 54. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase again because I, I, want, I want you to hear the story. After seizing Jesus, they took him away. They took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Where are the other ten? We don't know. This is important. Peter alone followed at a distance. And when he got to the house, he separated himself and sat down. And, and, he, and he did something that, that I've done myself. He hid himself in a crowd. He tried to blend in and camouflage with the crowd. And, and while he was sitting there, a woman said, Hey, you're with him. And, and, and he said, Woman, I don't, I don't know him. And a little while later, a man saw him and said, Hey, I recognize you. You're, you're one of those. You're with him. And he said, Man, I don't even know him. And then about an hour later, another one said, Hey, you're from Galilee. You've got to know him. You've got to be with him. You're with him. And Peter said for the third time, I don't know the man. And here's something that you don't see in, in Scripture unless you're paying attention to details. And I think this is so important. I think this is so vital. The rooster crowed and Peter broke down. But the way the courtyard was set up where he was seated, at that moment, he made eye contact with Jesus. Imagine, imagine the brokenness that Peter felt. And I'm sure when he thought about it, when he looked up and he saw Jesus, I'm sure he was thinking, he's going to be so mad at me. But imagine the look on Jesus' face. I don't think it was anger. I think it was pity and disappointment. The lens Peter was looking through was the lens of fear. And because of that fear, he found a couple of things happened. You see, fear comes due to a lack of trust. Fear comes to a lack of trust from a lack of trust. Peter didn't trust Jesus. It's that simple. Jesus has spelled it out to him and the other eleven time and time again. We're going to go to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be okay. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. It's going to be okay. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I will be with you again, and it's going to be okay. And all, Ju- all Peter could hear was, it's not going to be okay. Because if he thought Jesus could do what Jesus said he would do, he wouldn't have been fearful. And everybody could have said, hey, you were with him. And he would have said, I know, and I love him. It's easy to say, I'm not going to be a coward. But here's the truth. In our world, in our culture, see, in that culture, he denied him why. What would have happened to Peter, at least in his mind, if he had associated himself with Jesus? What would happen to him? You can say it. What would happen to him? They would have killed him. He'd have been dead. See, in our world, when we think, oh, if I talk about Jesus, I might offend someone. Let's not worry about Peter's cowardice, fear of dying, when we're fearful of being offensive.
Imagine if Peter were using the, win, the, the lens of wisdom and understanding the message. The next lens, just a couple of quick verses. 63, 64, and 65. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. They were looking through the lens of superiority. And we do that, especially when we get with the group. Especially when with a group of like-minded people. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, y'all want to be one of us. And have you ever noticed when people get in a group, sometimes the stupidity grows exponentially? Hey, here's a, a, a stupid idea. Yeah, but if we do this, it can be even more stupid. And, and I think that was happened with, with, with the guards. They were mocking him. They were laughing at him. They were enjoying the moment of being over the one that the crowds bowed down to. It's just a few days prior, the triumphal entry. It's just a few days prior that they witnessed this, and now they're stronger and tougher than the one that the city screamed, Hosanna, God save us. Lesson learned is this. We're called to be meek, not mighty. But to me, meek requires mightiness. We're not called to stand and say we're superior. We're called to stand and say, I will love you. And the love of Christ is superior to where we both are. Let's go. One more lens, and then we'll get to the Lord's Supper. And uh, we'll make it through all 71 verses. I didn't know if we'd make it through before Tuesday. It looks like we'll be all right. Starting at verse 66. At daybreak, the council of elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and just Jesus led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. Then if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of, God, uh, the Son of Man? And he replied, You say that I am. They said, why do we need any more testimony? We've all heard it from his own lips. Jesus never claimed it. Did you notice that? Even when he claimed it, he didn't claim it. He said, the Son of Man will be at the right hand of God. So are you the Son of Man? That's what you say. He never said, yes. And why? Well, he gives this reason. He gives this reason when they first asked. He said, uh, get my words exactly right. If I tell you, you will not believe me. You see, their bias is already set. Here's one of the ways we can know the bias is there. And I want to thank Dole for this. He told me this on the phone this week, and it just said, oh, you're so right. Go back to the garden. 
Go back. We know from the companion gospel, we know from John, that the one who drew the sword was Peter. And we know he took the ear off of a man who was named Malchus. And Malchus was a guard for the high priest, Caiaphas, who's one of the people here questioning Jesus at this time. So there's no way, I guess there's a possibility, but Caiaphas may have been in the garden as well. There's a good chance of that. And even not, how in the world will a man come in to his boss and say, oh, we got Jesus. And by the way, he cut my ear off. Peter did. And Jesus put it back on. Look. There's, it's indescribably minuscule the chances that Caiaphas did not know about that miracle that just happened hours before. And yet he still says, the man is a fraud. Because his bias was set. His bias was set. When you see someone with that lens of bias, here's the lesson I want you to take. It doesn't mean their their future is set. Going back to the companion passage in John, let me read to you how John wrote about Pilate, okay? This is John 18, starting in verse 37. You're a king then, said Governor Pilate. King Jesus answered with abandonment. You say that I'm a king. Instead, in fact, the reason I was born and came into this earth was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth will listen to me. Pilate said, what is truth? And in the context, it wasn't a sarcastic comment. It was, I need to know. I'm searching for it too. So even within his bias, his mind was open enough to say, there's got to be more to it than this story. What is truth? His bias may have skewed his moment, but it didn't have to form his future. So the lesson I want you to take is twofold. You share with people who have a bias. But the second is this. You have a bias. We have a bias. We do. We see what we see and we believe what we believe and we follow what we follow. But just like I said a moment ago, I'm flesh. I know somewhere my doctrine is wrong. If I knew where it was wrong, you know what I'd do? I'd change it. How about you? Quain, if you knew you believed something wrong, if I taught you something about Jesus and you said that doesn't make sense to what I believe, but you look at Scripture and it turns out to be what you believe is correct, would you say, oh, you showed me the truth, but I'm not going to follow it? You'd change it, wouldn't you? We have a bias because we're going to be flawed because we're flesh. Fair? We need to make sure we're looking through the lens of love, of wisdom, and a story to find our bias. Okay, we skipped a significant chunk. And uh, we're now to that significant chunk. And just to let you know, everything we've just done was the introduction to the sermon. It wasn't. I'll let you out here in a few minutes. I know that I've drained your attention. It's the Passover meal and the institution of the Lord's Supper. 
And I save that to the last because the lens that we see in the character of this part of the story is the lens that Christ Jesus himself was looking through when he saw his people. When he said, this bread is my body and this blood is the new covenant and because of what I've done with my body and because of the new covenant, you have hope because of what I'm doing for you. You have love because of what's happening around you. This is not in vain. I love you. And the whole point of saving this to the end is this. We began with Judas and his lens, and we looked at Peter's, and we looked at, we looked at, we, we looked at the ones who called for him to be killed and the lenses that they were going through. And the whole time, it was set up for the moment for them to see through the lens that Christ was using. Now, I know as well as you know that the story had to happen so we could obtain that lens. But my goodness, how many times do we step back into and put on the glasses of those before us with the lens of ambition or association, with the lens of using someone others or, or fear or superiority or bias? How many times do we intentionally grab those glasses when we need to be looking at this world with the lens of love? We need to be looking at the scripture with the lens of wisdom and the lens of story. Go ahead, ask our, our elders and ministers and families to take their spot. And uh, those of you in the balcony, I won't be up this week. Uh, we wear these for a reason. We wear them because our physical body is flawed. Fair? Spiritually, we're flawed, we're broken. Romans chapter 6, Paul quotes all kinds of Old Testament scripture and puts it together as a psalm, and, and it starts off with, There is no unrighteous, not even one. And that's where we stand. So the purpose of this walk that, that, that my brothers and my sisters have taken to share with you is twofold. One is, we are broken, and sometimes we need someone to stand with us and just pray with us and get us to the next step. Sometimes we just need that, that push. But the other reason is this. Don't stay broken. Begin that walk. Begin that time searching, walking with, learning, loving Christ, and building that relationship.